Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. We serve a great God. Can you say amen to that? And God wants the world to see Him. And the only way the world is going to see Him is through us. That is why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian believers. He was explaining to them that the world's not going to see Christ in you by keeping the law. He doesn't want you to keep the law in order to maintain your salvation. He wants you to learn how to walk in the Spirit. And so today we're going to be talking about living the Spirit-filled life. We've been talking about what it means not to live under the law, not to be bound under the law, but to be controlled by the Spirit. Last week we saw that we are to be, we, we need to surrender to the Spirit of God. We need to crucify the flesh, surrender to the Spirit of God, and then God will allow us to live for others and not live for ourselves. Today we're in Galatians chapter 6, and I want to talk about this very, very important uh, this very important truth. Before we get started, however, let's read, our, let's read our statement together. I am a messenger sent by God to deliver the great news of salvation. I have been delivered from the bonds of this world and now enjoy the unconditional love and peace that comes from knowing God as my Father. The world thinks of religion and they think of Christianity as religion. They think that it's a bunch of rules and regulations, a bunch of do's and don'ts, and you have to constrain and you can't do this and you can't do that. And that's what religion is all about. And then they see people who say they believe that and they're doing that just hysterically for a couple of years and then they drop out and then they say, look, the church is filled with nothing but hypocrites. And Paul is, is fighting that. Paul is saying, listen, you need to understand that the only way you're going to enjoy your Christian life is not by, by having a set of rules that you live by. The law's not bad, but you can't live by the law and you can't live by the bondage of the law. What you need is you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And when you're controlled by the Spirit of God, then you will naturally obey the law because the law was written by the Spirit of God. And so this whole thing is such an important concept that we understand that we're living for the Lord, not so that we can say, look, these are rules and regulations. We're living for the Lord because we love Him. And Paul takes all this time to explain that. Then he comes to chapter 6, and he gives us five basic principles Five basic principles that will help us to reflect to a cynical, watching world shows, to show them what it really means to walk in the Spirit, to, to, to live the, the Spirit-filled life. Several years ago, 
my daughter called me up, and she's like a health nut. She, she, uh, always, anytime there's something healthy, she wants me to read it so that I will stay healthy or become healthy. Uh, and she's always giving me different, different books and different ideas and saying, hey, now you need to start drinking collagen, and you need to start doing this, and these, all these interesting things. And, and uh, uh, several years ago, she, she said, look, I got a new book. I said, what is it? She, called, it's, she said, it's, it, it's a book called Eat This, Not That. Eat This, Not That. And I thought, okay, Eat This, Not That. Are you fam- anybody familiar with that book? Okay, there's all sorts of books out now, like Go There, Not There. Uh, 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 shop This and Not... And there's all sorts of... But this, this was the original book. Eat This, Not That. And you go in that book and you read several things. You read, like, uh, it's better to eat baked potato chips than fried potato chips. Eat this, not that. Baked potato chips and fried potato chips. Hey, I found out, too, that baked potato chips taste pretty good. Uh, in fact, can't take much of a difference. In fact, they can even taste better if you dip them in butter. Uh, so, like, <clears throat> eat this. Not that. I, I found uh, a couple of very interesting ones were this. If you go to Outback Steakhouse, and Outback Steakhouse, they have the blooming onion, and then they have what's called layered fl- fries. Layered fries. Now, neither one of those are any good for you, but any excuse to eat the blooming onion, I'll take. And here's what it said. It said in there that that, that though the blooming, un, blooming onion isn't really good for you, it's a whole lot better than the layered fries. Now I have a reason to eat this, not that. <laughs> over and over, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, there's, they, they give restaurants, eat here, not there, go there. Uh, the, they, they, they gave this, they said it's better to eat, uh, not, there's, there's powdered donuts like little Debbie's donuts that you can get. Better to eat Krispy Kremes. I love, love this. Better to eat Krispy Kremes than powdered donuts. I'm going for that. I'm going to eat this, not that. There's all sorts of different illustrations that we could give about that. But I want you to understand, that's not where the concept originated. In Ephesians chapter 5, and don't turn there, we're in Galatians chapter 6, but in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, Paul said this. He said, be not drunk with wine. Okay, we're going to get convicting here in just a minute. Be not drunk with wine. I had this up here, and I brought it in before the 8 o'clock service. I brought it in, I sat it down, and a lady said, oh, you're going to share that wine with everyone? I said, you won't want it at the end of the service. And so the uh, Bible says, be not drunk. This is, by the way, Welch's grape wine. <clears throat> the Bible says, be not drunk with wine. God said, don't be controlled by wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The illustration is very, very powerful, and it's a God-given illustration. He's saying, look, you need to make a choice between this or that. You need to make a choice. Are you going to be controlled by your flesh, or are you going to be controlled by the Spirit? Be not drunk with wine. The Bible tells us that God gave wine uh, to make us merry. Are you going to be, allow that to control you? You drink a little bit, take a little sip, and you drink a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. Pretty soon as you're drinking it, the more you drink it, the more it controls you. 
It controls your speech. I start speaking different. And it controls your, your body functions and your, your, your stumbling. Uh, it controls you. The more you surrender to this every day, the more you drink that every day, the, the more of it that you drink every day, the more it controls you. And God said, look, I don't want you to be controlled by that. What I want you to do, I've given you my spirit. When you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are God and that you died to pay for my sins. I believe that you were buried and that you rose from the dead for me. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your God and you say, I need you to give me eternal life, when, God, when, when you ask him to give you eternal life, the Bible says he sends his Holy Spirit. You're dead spiritually. He sends his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. And your dead spirit comes to life. And he is now living inside of you. He lives in you. He is there. There's nothing. You'll never lose that. That is eternal. That is everlasting. He gives you everlasting life. You become his, and you become his eternally. If you could lose your salvation, then John 3, 16 is a lie. Jesus said you get everlasting life. The moment you get saved, he gives you life that will last forever. And he lives inside of you, but he wants you to surrender to his control. He lives inside of you, but daily you have to surrender to his control just like you might have a bottle of wine or several bottles of wine in your house. In order to be drunk, you have to constantly be drinking it and taking it in. In order for you to be controlled by the Spirit every day, you've got to be surrendering to his Spirit. Surrendering, saying no, I'm, I'm saying no to my flesh, I'm dying to my flesh, I'm surrendering to your spirit, and I'm, I, as I surrender to your spirit, I want you to control me so that I will live to serve others and not myself. And that's where we ended last week in Galatians chapter, at the end of Galatians chapter 5, where Paul says this, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. That is, if, in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And the idea is we're serving now others. He's controlling us, so I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living for others. Now, when that takes place, as we go into chapter 6, we're going to see that there are five things that will take place. As people watch your life and they see these things in your life, they're going to see Christ being produced in your life. So they're very, very important. Father, I pray you teach us from your word. Help us to take these truths and apply them to our lives. And I ask this, this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see is this, that when we are controlled by the Spirit of God, we will live a life of restoration versus condemnation. We will choose restoration over condemnation. Look what it says in the verse three verses of chapter six. Brethren, if a man be overtaken with a fault. Now this guy's got problems. Okay, he's sinned. He's done something wrong. And by the way, this is a brother. This is not, this is not uh, somebody out in the world. If a brother be overtaken with a fault, ye which are spiritual, condemn them. Is anybody reading along with me? 
Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says. It says, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He goes on to say, bear one another's burdens, that is their weaknesses, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is love your brother. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. An amazing passage of Scripture. He says, listen, you need to understand, there's a guy here and he's got a problem. Back in 1958, a preacher in western Pennsylvania named David Wilkerson was uh, picked up Life magazine. He was reading an article in Life magazine about seven boys that were members of a gang in New York City, and he heard about them. They had been involved in a murder, and they were being tried as adults, and they were going to be going to the electric chair or the gas chamber. They were going to die for their crimes. He got burdened about that, and he thought, man, somebody's got to do something about that. He got burdened about them, and instead of doing what the rest of the world did, he didn't look at them and say, oh man, they deserve that. They killed somebody. Look at them. Look at the life they're living. Look at how terrible they are. Look at they're out on the streets. They're ruining our culture. He didn't think that. He didn't think they, they deserve to die. What he thought is, man, somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. And with very little money, he got on a train and he went to, or a bus, and went to New York City, to Brooklyn, New York, and he, he established a ministry there to reach street kids. In 1962, he wrote a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, and in 1970, that was made into a movie. And he started a, a massive movement across the country to reach young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, instead of condemning them because of their wickedness, he wanted to restore them to society. He cared about them. Uh, in 1971, I read his book, and in 1972, I heard him preach and committed my life to the Lord underneath his preaching and teaching. I just want you to understand this that we need to live lives of restoration and not condemnation. We need to choose one above the other. Look, as we look in this passage, I want you to see, you say, well, you don't understand my neighbor. Uh, you don't understand what my brother did to me. You don't understand what my sister did to me. You don't understand the way I've been treating. I want you to see here that he says, if a man be taken with a fault, he, there is a fault here. The only reason you have to work at restoration is because there is a fault. But we, don't, we need to not think about the fault. We need to think about the need. You see, the Spirit restores, and the law condemns. The law says they violated the law death. The Spirit restores, the law condemns. This is a brother our approach, he says, must be in meekness, understanding that the only reason I stand, the only reason I'm not there is because of my dependence upon God. The only reason I've not fallen into sin, the only reason I've not chosen to do wrong is because of the strength that God has given me. And that's why he says, bear one another's burdens. Understand other people's weaknesses. Don't condemn them because of what they're doing. Now, that doesn't mean we justify. We don't justify what they're doing. We don't say, hey, what you're doing is okay, everybody sins. That's not the attitude. The attitude is we want to help you out of your sin, but we, and we've got to realize that others fall 
And we can fall just as easily as others. And so what my heart should be is not an attitude of condemnation, but an attitude of what can I do to restore? You say, well, how do I restore a brother? If I see a brother's sin, or if a brother sins against me, then what am I supposed to do? Well, Jesus answered that question. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. This is personal. That means if Rob sins against me, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he sins against me, I'm supposed to go to you personally. Rob, I'm supposed to say, Rob, look, I need to talk to you about something. Uh, throwing rocks at my car and breaking my windows is not right. And I just, I want you to understand, it wasn't right just because you're jealous of my car. I, I want you to understand, this is really a problem. And I'm supposed to talk to him about that. And the Bible says when I come to him, I'm supposed to come in a spirit of meekness. I want you to understand, I've wanted to throw rocks at your car as well. And in fact, I've wanted to throw rocks at you. So the idea is I'm coming in a spirit of meekness, not in a spirit of condemnation. And then he said, if he hears me, then I've gained my brother. The whole idea is restoration. I want to restore our relationship. I don't want to cut off the relationship. I don't want him to get punished. I don't want discipline against him. I'm coming because I want to reconcile. That's what Jesus said. But he said, if he will not hear thee, then I get two or three witnesses. And I say to him, I come to him and I say, not, not, again, not to say, look, these all saw it and you're a creep. It's, no, I'm, I'm bringing them because I want to restore him to fellowship. Here's what typically happens. Somebody sins against me, uh, he sins against me, and I go and I tell somebody else, I'm telling you, let me tell you what a jerk this guy is and what he's done to me, and then I go to the next person, and I go to the next person, and I go to the next person. And then I don't have to go to anybody else because all of you will go and tell everybody else what a jerk he is, and everybody knows that he's a jerk. He threw rocks in my window. Hope you'll get that right. And so, uh, so th- that's what happens. God said, no, that's not what's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to take two or three witnesses, and I'm supposed to do everything I can to restore them. And then if that doesn't happen, you go to the leaders of the church, and you say, listen, can we, can we just have a meeting uh, so that we're not going to court over this thing? We're not going out to the secular court. We come in, and you can make a judgment whether I'm right or he's right, or, and we can, we can decide this between, within the church. But he says, if you won't hear the church... If you won't hear the church, then let, him, um, then let him be as a heathen and a publican. Now, you, you say, well, then, then, then we can hate him after that. No, not, we're supposed to love the heathens. We're supposed to go out. Jesus loved the publicans. He went out and tried to reach them. That's, it's still a matter of love. It's just that I'm not going to have intimate fellowship with somebody who is in continual perpetual sin. So, so the idea is constantly and perpetually uh, this attitude of I want to reconcile, I want to restore my brother, not to condemn my brother. This is better than that. And listen, when I live that way, when I live with that, with, I, I ask, by the way, you say, I can't do that. Man, somebody treats me bad, I, I, I want to get back at them. I, I can't do that. Yeah, you can See, you say, how? Same way Jesus did. Jesus surrendered to the Spirit of God. And on the cross, when they had taken him and, were going, and they crucified him, after they beat him and they spit upon him, how did he do that? 
He surrendered to the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. So that when they took him and hung his agonizing body on the cross and it jerked down there and his back was up against that rugged cross and he was in agony and physical pain, he could look out through the power of the Holy Spirit and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And when we do, when we are, we'll have a spirit of restoration not condemnation. Well, you know what that little creep did? No, that's, that's not the Spirit of... That's not the Holy Spirit. I need to surrender to the Holy Spirit of God. And then I have a heart of restoration, not condemnation. Now, that's the first thing. I want you to see, number two, that Paul says not only should you have that, but you should have a spirit of responsibility, not a spirit of excuse. Look what it says in verse... Uh, Four and five. It says, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall eat shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Verse five, for every man shall bear his own burden. For some time I thought there was a contradiction between verse five and verse two, where it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and verse five says, Every man shall bear his own burden. The difference is this. There's two Greek words there. The one in verse 2 means bear one another's weaknesses. Understand your brother is weak and you're there to help him. Verse 5 is talking about your responsibility. Every man has a, a responsibility that's given to him as an individual and he needs not make excuses for why he's not doing that. God's given you a responsibility. God's given me responsibilities. We, we shouldn't criticize others. We shouldn't badmouth others. We, shouldn't be ex- we, should, we should only examine ourselves. And the Bible says they that they compare themselves amongst themselves are not wise. As, as a, I, I have responsibilities, and you do too. As a child of God, you have the privilege of representing God. That's a responsibility that's given to you. Wherever you go, that's a responsibility that's given to you. You have a responsibility as a spouse. If you're married, you have a responsibility to make your spouse feel like they're more important to you than anyone else in the world. You have a responsibility to pump your spouse up, to, to, to encourage your spouse, to love your spouse unconditionally. You have that responsibility that's been given to you. He says, he says bear your own burden. Do what you're supposed to do. As, as a friend, you have a responsibility as a friend to, to love someone and, and love them enough that if they're doing something wrong to go to them and care for them and help them and, and restore them. You have a responsibility that's given to you. If a brother's in need, to help that brother that's in need. You have a responsibility that's given to you. As a neighbor, you have a responsibility to your neighbors to show them Jesus Christ and to, to let them see Christ in you. I live in a neighborhood. I have 56 people that live in our neighborhood. My responsibility is to make sure those people have an opportunity to get saved. But that's why we go... Uh, periodically to every neighbor, put tracks on their door, or invite them to special events. This summer, we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful summer. Don't miss tonight's service. Don't miss the night service. It's called It Feels Like Summer. It's going to be great. We're going to transform the, the platform for tonight. It's going to be a great, great night. It's at 5 o'clock. Don't miss it. Public service announcement. And so uh, you, you need to be here for that. 
uh, look, we, we have a great opportunity this summer. I don't know what it is that God's going God's to, where God's going to place you, but wherever he is, God's given you a responsibility. Use, use, be the neighbor, invite your friends. We have 56 people in our neighborhood, and we've gone to all of their doors, invited them all to church, and I tried to give the gospel to every person. Why? Because I, I've been given that responsibility. I don't know about your neighborhood, but my neighborhood has at least one Christian in it. And I'm going to make sure that everybody else knows what it means to be a Christian. I, I, as a parent, you have a responsibility. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, you have a responsibility. God's given me a wonderful wife. God's given me five children. God's given me, uh, uh, God's given me 19 grandchildren. God's given me five other children that were born into or were married into our family. God's given me that responsibility. I have a responsibility to pray for them. I have a responsibility to, to encourage them. I have a responsibility to love them. That's my responsibility. It's not like it's a burden, but it is my responsibility. And I, and I want to do it and honor God. As a, as a church member, God's given you a responsibility. As a, as a child of my parents, my parents have been in heaven for many years. I still have a responsibility to honor them in what I do and what I say because I'm a reflection on their character. And so I have a responsibility towards them. I have a responsibility as a church member to, to get involved. I have a responsibility as a citizen to be the very best citizen I can. So I don't know what the responsibilities are that you have or where it is, but you need to understand that God wants you to take responsibility and, and, and be the very best at what you are. And don't compare yourself with others. Don't say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to work as hard as that. Nobody else around here is working hard. I'm not, I'm not going. No, you represent God where you work. Well, everybody else's yard looks horrible. I don't care. I know you're, you're representing Christ in your neighborhood. Well, all, everybody, everybody else's kids are going crazy. I remember we were, we were uh, in a big room. Our kids were acting crazy, and, 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 but there was a bunch of other kids acting crazy, and I said, come here, come here, come here. Don't do that. Everybody's doing it. I said, their last name is not Tice. Yours is. And I don't know what their parents are going to do to them for acting this way, but you know what's going to happen to you? Yes, we know. Well, maybe you want to sit down. Okay. You understand? I'm, I, my responsibility is to make sure my children are doing right. I'm not supposed to compare myself with others. Paul said, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. That's what some people do. Oh, look how good I am. But measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves amongst themselves, they're not wise. What I want to do, what do I want to compare myself to? I want to compare myself to the person that God wants me to be. I want to compare myself to the Dave Tice that God intended me to be. And that's what you should be doing. Lord, uh, help me. Help me to, be, to take responsibility. Help me to take responsibility. So I need to, first of all, I need to be a person that focuses on restoration, not condemnation, on responsibilities and not excuses. And then number three, on reciprocation, not selfishness. It's so easy to live a self-centered life. But it's interesting that Paul says, look, you can show to the world through living, we can show the world how great our God is, not just by singing to him. We can show how great our God is by having a heart of reciprocation, a heart of giving 
to the work of God, to the, to the, the ministers of God. Look what Paul says in verses 6 through 9. He says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Let me explain very simply what that means. If you're being taught the word of God, if there are people who are teachers of the word of God, take care of them financially. That's what he's saying. Take care of their needs. If somebody's feeding you the word of God, then you should take care of their needs. Why are you preaching this, Pastor? You need a raise? I don't need a raise. Uh, this church takes care of me wonderfully. In fact, this is an amazing church, and I thank the Lord for how God has used this church to take care of me. But I want you to understand, God's, it's way beyond me. God says if there are servants of God, you ought to take care of those servants of God. You ought to uh, communicate to them in all good things. In the things that God's given you, share them with those people that serve. I, somebody said, do you ever get jealous of your church members that have boats? I never do, because I know I'm going to be on that boat someday. You understand? Somebody gets a nice car, I'm going to drive it. I am going to drive it. I was driving a Tesla the other day, not because I own one, because a church member owns a Tesla. And I got to go as fast as I wanted to, and I didn't care. Because um, it's not my car, it's his. And so uh, what I'm saying is this. The idea is here, he says, look, take care of the servants of God. Take care of those who preach the Word of God. In a, in a, in a couple of weeks, you're going to have missionaries here. In fact, we've been telling you, get involved with Christmas in June. Uh, get involved in Faith Promise Missions. Next week, I'm going to talk about Faith Promise Missions. And every summer, we focus on, on missions and reaching uh, around the world with the gospel. Why? Because God tells us that we should take care of the servants of God. In fact, look what he says in 1 Timothy First Timothy, Paul says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. That's the pastors in the church that are, ta- that, are, that are serving the church and doing it well. They should be counted worthy of double honor. That means taken care of well financially, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine, especially those that are teaching the word and studying the word. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox. That's sort of an insulting uh, comparison, a preacher with an ox. But uh, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. The picture there is this, that an ox is on a treadmill, and the, 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 the meal is here in the middle of the, of the, uh, the treadmill, and the ox is, is grinding. He's just going around the treadmill. And as he grinds the the corn, some of that corn falls off in front of the ox. And so the ox, in order to motivate himself to keep walking, he's eating that stuff as he's going by. He's just eating and eating and eating and he eats. And, and, and God says, look, don't muzzle the ox that keep, that's, that's, that's treading out the corn because he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And it's a reward for him as he's eating the corn that falls to the ground. Don't muzzle him. Take care of him. In 1 Corinthians, it says, Paul said about himself, he said, if we have sown to you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Is it wrong for us to to get from you physical necessities uh, after we have taught you the Word of God? In the South, back about 40 or 50 years ago, there were a lot of poor people that were coming to churches. They didn't have money to give, so they would would bring meals. They would bring uh, chicken. They would bring eggs. They would bring uh, ham uh, from a slaughtered pig. They would give, bring all of those things. They would bring them 
to the pastors and, and they would take care of a preacher's family that way. I want you to understand God honored that. What they were doing was giving of themselves. And if anybody wants to bring food by the office, I, I'll be more than willing to receive it. So um, uh, the, the, God, the, the idea is God will bless you as you give to his servants. Our missionaries, they, our missionaries are going to come. They're going to share with you what they've done around the world. It's amazing. You're going to hear some wonderful stories of people getting saved. And you're going to want to be part of that. The idea is very simple. God says he'll bless. Now look, look at the promise. Look at the promise. Let me share with you this promise from Jesus. First of all, he said, give and it shall be given unto you. This is a promise from God. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. God promises that if we give to meet the needs of others that are servants of God, that God will take care of us. Look at the promise here in Galatians chapter 6. He says, Let him that is taught in the Word, that is people that are hearing the teaching of the Word of God, uh, him that is taught in the Word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Give to meet their needs. Then he says, here's the promise that goes along with this. This is a promise. Be not deceived. Don't, don't let Satan deceive you. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Don't give because this is a rule or a regulation, but do it because you love the Lord and you, wanna, and you love His Word and you want to honor those that are teaching His Word. And you need to understand, God says, if you give, whatever you give, you're going to get back. Whatever you sow, that will you reap. If you sow peaches, you reap peaches. If you sow corn, you reap corn. If you sow grapes, you reap grapes. Whatever you sow, you reap. And He says in verse 9, well, what if I've given, you, you might think, what if I've given and I've never seen anything come back? Let us not be weary in well-doing. Keep on giving, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. I could stand right here and I could go for the next two hours, and I won't, and tell you one story after another story after another story after another story of how God has blessed my wife and I's life as we have gotten involved in giving. It's been absolutely an amazing thing. Uh, a couple, a young couple came out here, started this church. We had $14 in our bank account. And we have been giving and giving and giving. It's amazing what God has given to us. I look around and I think, it's just absolutely amazing. My wife and I have literally given hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions, if not a million dollars or more to missions over the last 45 years. And we have watched God just bless supernaturally. Amazing things. When I was in college, there was a man who needed a car, a missionary that needed a car. I gave him my car. And I gave him my car claiming this promise, saying, Lord, Luke 6.38 says, if, you give, if I give, it'll give, be given unto me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God, I need a vehicle, and I've just given my vehicle away. It took a while, but I want you to know, in 
in all the years of ministry, I, I can't tell you how many, how many, the Bible says what you reap, you reap what you sow. So if you sow a car, what are you going to reap? A car. I didn't reap one car. By the way, if you sow one little kernel of corn, you know what you get? You get four, you get four ears of corn on a stalk of corn, and there are multiple hundreds of corns. You say they're not corns, they're kernels. No, you eat corn on the cob, not kernels on the cob. And so there's multiple uh, circles of corns from that one little seed that you planted. I, I, uh, I, I could tell you several stories. I could tell you about the Cadillac that a lady came into my office and said, Pastor, I was about to sell this, but I wanted to give, give you an opportunity. Can I just give this to you? I said, let me think about it. Okay. And uh, I, could t- I, could tell you about, I could tell you about the Buick. I'm driving down the road one day, and I see a Buick. My mother needed a Buick, and I thought, and it said for sale. And so I, I called up the guy, and I said, hey, I'd like to buy your Buick. He's, I saw it on the side of the road. He said, he said, oh, I said, how much are you selling it for? And he told me. And I said, okay, I'd like to drive it. I said, can you bring it by... Um, can you bring it by Liberty Baptist Church tomorrow? I'm going to drive it. He said, you're kidding. I said, what? He said, you're a pastor? I said, yes. He said, wow. I said, well, what? He said, five minutes ago, I told God, if a pastor wants this car and calls me up, I'll give it to him. <laughs> no joke. Brought me a car. And I, and I gave it to my mother. My mother had a car to drive. Guy called me up one day. I preached. I was using an illustration about a sports car. And guy called up and said one day, back in 2002, he said, hey, is it a sin for a preacher to drive a sports car? And he said, no. He said, well, he said, I want to buy your, he said this to Matt. He said, I want to buy your dad a car. He said, I'm going to buy him a Mazda Miata. My dad, my, my son said he wouldn't want a Mazda Miata. He said, he said, would he like a Mustang? I saw him looking at Mustangs in a parking lot. He said, oh, he'd love a Mustang. He said, what color? He said, red. He said, uh, he said uh, would he like a hard top or a convertible? He said, a convertible. He said, would he like it five-speed or he, uh, would he like, would he like a, 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 an automatic? He said, he'd like a five-speed. He said, okay. Guy bought me brand new, 2002 uh, Ford Mustang convertible. I'm still driving it. It's out there. Uh, 2014, the guy calls me up and says to me, um, hey, pastor, I'm down at the Infinity dealer. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me. Are, are, these are true stories. These are true stories. <laughs> a, a guy calls me up in the Infinity dealer. He said, hey, pastor, he said, I've got a rack problem. He drove an Infinity, so I thought he had a problem with his car wreck. He said, I'm down here. I thought he wanted me to drive him home. I drove down to where he was. When I got down there, he said, hey, I have a rack problem. Uh, I have to do a random act of kindness. And he said, I was thinking about what I can do. He said, I'd like to do something for you. He said, I bought you an Infinity. Hard top convertible. Man, did I look good in that. <laughs> he bought that for me, wrote the check out, and gave the guy, and I'm dro- I drove for two years a uh, uh, infinity hardtop convertible paid for not by me, but by God. I want you to you say, you say can that happen to anybody? Yes, it can. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. I didn't know when I sold, that was a 1961 Buick special that I gave away. And it was many, it was some time later before I received anything, but I'm just one car after another car after another car after another car after another car. God has just blessed me. I, I walked in one day and said, Preacher, I want you to come out to the parking lot. I said, uh, 
I said, he said, I've got something I'm going to give. I'm not giving it to you. I'm giving it to your wife. I said, what? I walked outside. There's a motorhome in the, in the parking lot. I said, wow, this is, this is nice. He said, yeah. He said, we, we bought this with you in mind, and we've driven it for the last 10 years, but we, we wanted you to be able to use it, and we're leaving town now, and I'm going to give this to you. A motorhome, we've used it for four years to, to travel and do ministry. God gave it to us for free. He said, I'm giving it to your wife, not to you, because you'll sell it and give it to missions. And uh, I'm not having that. I just want you to understand the Bible, when God says, given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, Jesus isn't just exaggerating. That's what God does. Give, not for your own selfish reasons. Give, and God will take care of you. And that's what Paul says. Let him... um, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You will reap the benefit when you give to meet the needs of others. When you get involved in this missions giving thing, I'm telling you, you'll be amazed what God will do to supply your needs. It's amazing. So uh, you'll have this attitude of reciprocation. Uh, rather than selfishness. And then next, you'll have an attitude of remedy, not retaliation. Look at verse, look at verse 10. The Bible says this, as we have therefore opportunity, I love this, let us do good unto all men, especially them who are of the household of faith. Here's, here's the point in this passage. <laughs> Just do good. It doesn't matter what the, how people treat you. People say, you, don't, you, know what my, you know what my brother-in-law did to me? Uh, no, I don't. Well, he, 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 he stole from me. He, well, what should I do? Do what's good. You, you don't understand what they did to me at work. What should I do? Do what's good. You don't understand the way my wife treats me. Do what's good. You don't understand the way my husband treats me. Just do what's good. Remedy versus retaliation. We're not supposed to get back at somebody just because they did something to us. What can I do to remedy the situation? Here's what you can do. Whatever happens to you, no matter where it is, at work, in your neighborhood, at school, no matter if it's at church, no matter what's going on, here's what you do. Here's what you do. Do good. What's the good thing you can do? My HOA, they're asking me to do this. Then do good. Well, the government, what are you supposed to do? Do good. Do good. Surrender to the Holy Spirit and do what God tells you to do. You'll do good. Well, they're not treating me right at church. I don't get the recognition. Well, just do good. God recognizes. He's seeing it. Just do good. Do what Elsa does. Do the next right thing. Or was that Anna that did that? Do good. That's the remedy. That's the remedy. As we have therefore opportunity. If God gives you an, op- if God gives you an opportunity by somebody doing something bad to you, do good. See, in First Thessalonians, Paul says this. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient towards all men. See that none render evil 
for evil unto any man. Somebody treats me bad. Somebody treats me bad. They don't, you know what they did. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both amongst yourself and to all men. Wow. Just do the good thing. Richard Warmbrandt was beat mercilessly day after day after day as a prisoner in a communist camp because he would not deny the Lord Jesus Christ and because he would pray every single day. He's beaten every single day. The same guard comes and gets him from his, from his, from his uh, cell and takes him to be tortured. They tied his hands behind his back, would hang him from his from his arms and from his legs tied up. The pain was excruciating and would disjoint his arms. They would take, they would take rods and they would beat his feet till he, he, throughout his life he could not walk properly. They'd beat him. They'd bring him back. Every day they would take, that same guard would throw him in a jail cell and that same guard would, uh, would mock him and he would look up and say, I want you to know Jesus loves you. Those last bit of strength, Jesus loves you. He's beaten every day, and he says this to the guard every day, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. One day, the guard throws him in, and he looks up and says, Jesus loves you. And the, and the guard said, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves you. Uh, who is this Jesus, and, and, and what's he like? Richard Warmbrandt knew he had one opportunity, and he looked up and he said, Jesus is like me. And the guard looked down and said, if Jesus is like you, I want to meet him. And he fell to his knees in Richard Warmbrandt's cell and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. What do you do in trying situations? Here's what you do. You do good. You do good to no matter what they do. You say, I can't do that. That's why you need to surrender to the Spirit every, every day. Don't try to live the law. You surrender to the Holy Spirit of God. He controls you, and you can do what He can do through you. He said, remember, especially those of the house of faith, remember those, your brothers and sisters. Remember, these are, remember, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, these are his sons and daughters. Don't speak evil against any brother or sister in Christ. These are his sons and daughters. Don't you hate it when your kids fight? He took my stuff. He came into my room and he took my stuff. Oh, why do I have to hear this? You've got your own stuff. Go to your own. No, I, 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 I. Oh, I hate that. Don't you hate it when, uh, and I, uh, I praise the Lord, we don't have this, but, but parents will tell me, about adult children that just fight with each other. We get prayer requests. Please pray that my two daughters will get along with each other. Man, it's a horrible thing. Can you imagine what God the Father in heaven thinks when we just fight with each other and we, we contend with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Oh, he hates that. He hates that. Everyone needs encouragement. Can you say amen to that? If you ever need encouragement, say amen. I love to be encouraged. I love encouraging notes. I, I, love, I love to be encouraged. Look, we need one another. Look at, look at live a life of remedy and not retaliation. And then lastly, I want you to see this. I want you to see in the last few verses. It says this. Uh, 
You see how large a letter I've written unto you in my own hands? Paul is writing and saying, I want you to know this is me writing. So he takes the pen away from the person he's dictating the letter to, and he writes these words in his own hand. So they'll know that this is actually written by him. As many as desire to make fair show in the flesh, they constrain you that you be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. He said, listen, there's people that are trying to get you to live under the law. And Paul shows them, look, you need not do that. He says in verse 16, and as many as walk according... But let me read this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this law, if you live this way, I'm surrendering to the Holy Spirit of God. I'm, I'm dying to my flesh. I'm living controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm going to live to serve others. If you live this way, look what he says. It's a promise. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. Verse 18 says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want the grace of God? You want the peace of God? You want the rest of God? Then rest in Him. The idea is rest versus stress. I am not going to live this life of legalism. I'm going to live a life of rest, and I'm going to trust Him, and I'm going to surrender to Him. And when I do that, the Spirit of God will work in my life the way He wants to work, and I don't have to stress out about life. I am not going to think that I have to do something in order to be saved. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saves us. And I'm going to live not for my own sake, but I'm going to live for the glory of God. Wherefore, there, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The idea is this. I'm living for rec- reconciliation or restoration. I'm going to be responsible and not excuse away what I, what I don't do. I'm going, to, I'm going to care for people. I'm going to reciprocate and give to the things of God. I'm going to remedy. I'm not going to be part of the problem. I'm going to rest and not stress. And when I do those things, listen, the world looks at, me, looks at a Christian that's living that way, and they say, wow, there's a difference. And those that see that are drawn to Christ in you because it's the Spirit of God that lives this way, not you. It's not the law. It's not the law. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. Let Him shine His life through you. If you've never received Christ, receive Him today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.